by God's grace, in a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, I haven't had a drink since April the 11th of 1977, and for that I am eternally grateful. I have a home group, and that's Monday night's Hill Beach Speakers Meeting, and I have a sponsor, and her name is Dottie H. And those are the things that I need to be a member in good standing in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. <clears throat> I am so excited to be here, I can barely stand it. I have nursed resentment for years. <laughs> you guys keep asking the women I sponsor, but not me. And I'm like, you know, how does this happen? Anyway, I'm only kidding. I am so delighted to be here. Um, I have some friends that come here all the time, and I, of course I got to hear about it and hear about it. So I am so delighted. But God's timing is perfect. It's always perfect. Um, because this year, my son and daughter-in-law and their three children, which happened, you know, they're really important people only because they are the parents of my grandchildren. <laughs> and we're all here. And, uh, of course, the three children aren't in AA, but all the rest of us are. And we've gotten to do this for a lot of years, and that's to celebrate sobriety. We've gotten to go to a lot of conferences together, and we've gotten to celebrate sobriety. And we've got to heal a lot of pain and a lot of hurt that happens in alcoholic families. Because uh, these kids, they're, they're the best parents. I wish you could just see what kind of parents they are. And you see, I'm an alcoholic mom. So I carry a lot of stuff. And a lot of times I hear people get up behind a podium and say, well, <clears throat> they start telling their past and they say, but I have no regrets. Well, I don't feel like that at all. I have a lot of regrets. But thanks to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I have a lot of forgiveness because I know that God would not give me a life like I've had today. And the kind of things that have happened in my life if I hadn't been forgiven for the things that have happened. But, you know, I still wished it hadn't have. And that's just the way it is. I'm sorry, but that's how I feel. Uh, I cannot tell you how excited I was when Larry called and invited me to come. I just, well, he called me last year. And you, got, you guys had a cancellation. And I was so excited because Donna was speaking last year, and she's the woman I sponsor. So I thought, oh, God, is this, would this be exciting? But I was already booked for something else. And he says, well, how about next year? And I said, oh. And I was on the phone to the kids. <laughs> Guess where we're going in July? <laughs> so I, you, just, you have no idea how excited I am to be here and how excited I am to be able to participate in this conference. And a lot of other good news, too. I know a lot of these people. Even though I live in California, I know a lot of these people. Sharon and I were walking over here just reminiscing the Mid-Cities group. And uh, three, three people started that group, of which I was one of them. And it's like, golly, this is, you know, that was 25 years ago. It's like, this is, it's amazing, and you get to, and uh, Barbara and Bob are here, and, uh, and that's things that go back a long way. Barbara and I were neighbors. Our kids played with each other. We didn't know each other. In fact, our houses backed up to each other. The only thing that separated was a fence. 
The kids hopped over the fence and played with each other, and Barbara and I drank <laughs> separately. <laughs> and if you want to know how Alcoholics Anonymous works, Barbara calls me on the phone when she's ready to quit drinking because she came in for a minute and decided she wasn't an alcoholic. And then when she decided that she wanted sobriety, she called me. So I got Barbara back into AA. And then God's got a beautiful sense of humor because Barbara got my son James into AA. She 12-stepped my son James. So Albert Myers used to say, you, can't, you know, I can't help my kids. You have to help my kids and I'll help yours. And uh, so and how it works, you know, that's, uh, that's Alcoholics Anonymous. It's just Alcoholics Anonymous. So anyway, I also brought the love of my life. Dave always tells me to, if I'm talking by myself, he'll say, now you tell everybody at the conference that I send my best, I sent you. But tonight... <laughs> I know, he's just crazy about me, and I love it. <laughs> anyway, I have my husband of 21 and a half years with me tonight. The same husband, I have, I've been married him 21 and a half years, and we still love each other and like each other. Stand up, Dave. Let them see how cute you are. <laughs> So it's, um, I love my life. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I love being sober. I love my life. I had this thought when I was growing up. I just knew that the only thing in life that was going to make me happy was money, men, and mansions. I knew if I had money, men, and mansions, I'd be happy. And uh, I have none of that. <laughs> and... Uh, I love my life. I love my life so much, and I love what this program has given me, that I am busier in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous than I have ever been. I am into more service than I have ever been, and I sponsor more people than I have ever sponsored. Because at 25 years of sobriety, today I have so much to lose. I have so much to lose. And I love the life that Alcoholics Anonymous has given me. And the thing that's really exciting about my life is that I have always, I believe alcoholics are the feel-good people. You know, if it aches, we want to find a way to fix it. We want to feel good. And what the program of Alcoholics Anonymous has allowed me to do is to do life on life's terms. Dave and I have not had, I mean, it's not all been, you know, a bed of roses. It's been life. It's just been life. But the deal is, is that I can suit up and show up for life. And I never was able to do that before coming to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I am just so grateful to be here. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says that I should share in a general way. What I used to be like, what happened, and what I'm trying to be like today. And I'm going to do that to the very best of my ability. I want you to know that I am living, breathing proof that you can come to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and not come from the disease of alcoholism. I do not come from the disease of alcoholism. My parents were not alcoholic. I'm not going to tell you that I lived, you know, in Father Knows Best and all of that because I didn't. 
But what happened was, is I did not come from the disease of alcoholism. And for me, I am so grateful that I did not come from that disease of alcoholism. Because if I had them, you'd probably have another speaker tonight. Because I am a person who has never, ever wanted to be responsible for my own actions. I've never wanted to be responsible for my own life. I've always wanted you to be responsible for me. And had my parents been alcoholic, I'm sure I would have thought it was their fault and I had no part in it, so why would I need to sober up? Because I know how I am. It has been in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous that I have learned to be responsible and accountable for my actions past and present. And I am so grateful for that today. <clears throat> I read a book not long ago. It's called How It Worked, and it's about Clarence Snyder. And Clarence says he's got a colorful life. He just knew he found an AA. <laughs> and, um, and it was really an interest, it's really interesting because really, in fact, he is the first group, the Cleveland group is the first group that, got, that split away from the Oxford group. So I was reading this book, and the author in this book starts it off really, it's, it's great. It's just so typical. He says there appears to be two characteristics that cause alcoholism, being loved too much or not enough. <laughs> I'm on the love too much side. I was a very cherished child. I was very cherished. My parents loved me. I'm an only child. So not only that, they absolutely adored me. And uh, my parents took me everywhere with them. I mean, I was, my mother had to work. I mean, it was really rare when you, when I was a little girl, for your parents to work. That was a very, very rare thing. But my mother needed to work. And uh, so I stayed with babysitters while she worked, but never any other time. And... Uh, but because they cherished me and I brought so much to their life, they loved having me around. They thought I just added so much to their life. And they showed me that. But I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and I could have sworn to you that nobody loved me. Whatever was going on inside of me, I could never feel that. I could never feel that love. And I just was like this angry, child, just angry all the time, temper tantrums, angry. I became an angry teenager, an angry adult, and it was always because I just didn't think anybody loved me. I didn't think I could measure up. I never felt enough. There was nothing about me that was okay. I had acne, so I, and I was really skinny. God, to have those days again. But it was just, you know, all of these things that I just, that I just felt so inadequate. And I was raised Southern Baptist. Now, when I come and I'm with a bunch of Texans, it's like, that's not, you know, most of Texans are raised Southern Baptist. So it's no big deal to you. Because, but what I heard in those meetings, what I heard meetings, what I heard in those churches was so different, I'm sure, than what they said. Clancy has a tape out called Alcoholism, a Disease of Perception. And what happens is, is I don't hear things the, the way they really are, and I don't see things the way they really are. And I can still hear my mother saying things to me like, 
Polly, wherever did you get that idea? Nobody said that to you. But I could have sworn they said it to me. And so here I was. I had a God, but my God was really after you. I mean, you know, first of all, I listened to Peggy Martin talk a couple of, week, a couple of weekends ago, and Peggy was just talking about these precious children. You know, what I love about this conference is how child-friendly it is. Here we're trying to be sober and be families. And what do we do? We don't have things that our kids can come to. So here, this is what's wonderful about this, is it's child-friendly. And so, you know, she's talking about little kids being born. They're just born perfect. But let me tell you what I heard. I heard, you're born a sinner. You're born with all this. Everything is wrong with you from the beginning. And I would hear these preachers screaming at the top of their lungs, if you've thought it, you've done it. You know, and I don't know about you guys, but I was an alcoholic in the making and I thought a lot. You know, so it, I just started to take on these ideas that I'm not ever, ever going to be good enough for anybody. That's the way I felt. Today I know what, what's wrong with me. Today I know what the problem is. The problem is, is I have a spiritual illness. The solution is, is that I have a spiritual program. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous tells me that I am suffering from a spiritual malady. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous tells me that I am separated from the sunshine of the spirit. The big book of, Alcohol of Alcoholics Anonymous tells me that if I am suffering from a spiritual malady, nothing is enough. You cannot love me enough. You cannot give me enough. You cannot do enough. There is not enough for a person like me. And it wasn't until I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and you introduced me to the 12 steps and had me start to take responsibility for myself that I began to see I have always been cherished. My parents cherished me. My ex-husband cherished me. My children cherished me. And I never cherished me. So what happened was, is I constantly, all I could give back was anger. That's all I could give back. When I was 18 years old, I married an Air Force officer. And I just knew I found my knight in shining armor and would sail off into the sunset. <clears throat> now, I tell you, at 62 years old, I still think a man in a uniform is the deal. It's just the deal. They're just so handsome. And I just knew this man was going to take care of me. Well, I had married an Air Force officer. And he was going to be gone, and he was going to be gone for years at a time, and I was going to have to learn to be responsible for myself. And I didn't know how to do that. I absolutely did not know how to do that. So it starts off at about age 18, and uh, I'd, we'd been in the service a few months, and uh, we were in, and, at Mather Air Force Base in Sacramento, California, and I get this little invitation in the mail, and it's from the base commander's wife. And I'm going to attend a coffee, with all the other little second lieutenant's wives, and I am absolutely mortified. Because you see, one of the things that's, that I have is I don't have a college education. I still don't have a college education. I certainly didn't have a college education at 18 years old. So I always thought I was stupid. 
And I used to use this as an excuse. I'm just stupid. And I would say, I'm just stupid, you know, and I, I, I just can't carry on good conversations. And that's what I felt like. I was intimidated by, by other people. Well, I believe that you can come to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and be and do anything you want to be and do. And today I have found out a lot about myself. I have found out I want those letters behind my name. I just don't want to go to school. <laughs> and these are some of the things that I've learned about myself. So here I am, and I'm really, I just know all these women are going to be so sophisticated, and I'm not going to be able to carry on any kind of conversation with them. So we sit there and we listen to this lady say how we're, what we're going to do to enhance our husband's career, how we're going to have the right dinner parties, how we're going to go to the right dinner parties, the functions that we are going to attend, and what is expected of me as an Air Force officer's wife, how I'm going to attend these functions, I'm going to be dressed properly, I'm going to wear the right length gloves. All of these things are going to be done so that I, and I'm responsible for this, and I'm absolutely terrified. I feel like there is no way I can live up to this. I am so overwhelmed with feelings of inadequacy. And about three weeks later, I take a drink at a luncheon, just a little glass of sherry, no big deal, just a little glass of sherry. Now, nothing magical happened as far as I could tell. Now, I listen to my husband talk, or I listen to my son James talk about how he walked across the street and his life changed, how Dave will talk about he, the first time he got to drink, you know, his, he, all of a sudden he was six foot two, his red hair turned brown, and his freckles fell off. None of those things happened for me. I did not even realize what was happening. It just seemed like when I took a drink of alcohol, what that stuff that was going on inside of me, all that anxiety and all that terror and all those feelings of inadequacy just seemed to kind of go away. It seemed like then I could nod in the right places and laugh in the right places, and I just didn't feel so stupid around all these people that I thought were so much more sophisticated than me. I didn't know for a long time what had happened. In fact, I didn't ever know what happened. I didn't know why my drinking was different from other people's drinking. I didn't know that because I didn't know people in the Air Force who drank like me. They drank a lot. It just seemed like it never affected them the same way it affected me. And I didn't know what had happened to me until I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and I read the doctor's opinion. And in the doctor's opinion, it says that alcohol gave us that feeling of ease and comfort. It's just like, I can breathe. I can just breathe. And that's what alcohol did for me. But it did a lot of things that weren't very good for me. Along about 1962, we're living in a place called Loring Air Force Base, Maine. It's way at the tippy top of Maine, and it's very, very cold. I've got these two little boys. I don't have a clue how to be a parent. I have no idea how to be a parent. And I can't let these little boys out to play and I'm having a nervous breakdown every 20 minutes. And I end up going to an Air Force doctor, and he says, take these. And from 1962 until 1977, 
When I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I drank alcohol and I took Librium and Valium and Secanol and Nimetol. And I'm here to tell you, if you take those kind of drugs and drink alcohol, you are not an active alcoholic. I am not an active alcoholic. I call myself a couch potato alcoholic. At some time when I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and I started hearing all these stories, it's like, oh my God, you know. And what I do is I end up having all my affairs sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, but I just, you know, I just couldn't function. I just really couldn't function. Now, to a point that might sound very funny, uh, to my two boys that wasn't very funny. Me passed out all the time. And I want you to know that I am so grateful to strong sponsorship. I am so grateful that I have, from the day I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I have been willing to do what you told me to do. And I am so grateful for that gift because I truly believe it's a gift. I have been willing to follow direction and do what I have been told to do because it's really obvious that somebody knows how to live better than I do. And I have taken that direction. And when I got sober, my first AA sponsor had been a Monsignor priest. In fact, it's fun to be here with Barbara because we shared all those same people together. And, uh, it's, uh, and Frank had been a Monsignor priest. And Frank, one of the wonderful things about Frank was he was never afraid of hurting my feelings. He was always willing to get in my face and tell me the truth, whether I wanted to hear it or not. And for that, I'm really grateful. Because, you see, the truth is, is I am, a kind, I am a woman who should have had her children taken from her. I am a woman who abused my children emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And most of all, just blatant neglect. I am a woman who should never have had her children. And I was, when I did my fifth step, Frank got in my face and he said, Polly, you are a child abuser. And that you are to go to your children and you are to make amends. And you're to, you're to let them say something back to you. Because what happens is, is that they're going to have a lot to say. And the only thing that you get to say is, I'm sorry that happened to you. And uh, my, my sons were 14 and 16. So they had a lot to say. And uh, I was talking to James not long ago, and he says, Mom, you want me to be honest with you? He says, I cannot remember that conversation. But then James had found his own substances. By <laughs> but my sons were very angry, and they had a lot to say. And, uh, and I'm grateful because having done that, which I still believe to this day, is the hardest thing I've ever had to do in sobriety, is to go to my sons and to own that. And uh, I once heard a speaker say, and I believe this with all my heart, and that speaker said to, about his children, he said, all of your problems have my name on it, but all of your solutions have yours. I cannot do anything for the solution for my boys. I am so grateful for a program called Alcoholics Anonymous. James and I had a dream come true last August. 
And uh, we got to do a whole weekend on the family afterwards. And uh, we both just let it hang out. And we, we just talked about the things that we've talked about and how we've come through this past 25 years. And uh, what a miracle. How do you get from there to here? We were talking about that. That's what Otto and a bunch of us were talking about tonight at dinner. How do you get from here to the mountaintop in Crestview? How do you do that? How do you come from these places? And, you know, the thing about it is, is I wasn't out there robbing banks, and I wasn't shooting people, and I wasn't doing those things. And what I did is because I was an alcoholic woman and an alcoholic mother, is I took the disease of alcoholism and I destroyed my two children because I was incapable of taking care of them. I've got five grandchildren. And Ryan is nine years old, my oldest grandchild, and I will assure you that he has never had to prepare a meal for himself that he didn't choose to prepare just because he wanted to be a big help. But I'll guarantee you, my little boys did because that's the only way they ate and got to school. And that's the disease of alcoholism. And that's the kind of alcoholic I am. I'd like to just tell you a couple of things that happened and how I got to treatment. Like I said, that's it. I mean, I, I wasn't out doing anything else. Unfortunately, my husband was gone, and I was just having little kids. That, uh, anyway, I'd like to tell you a couple of things that happened to me that brought me to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I had a car wreck in Irving, Texas, and uh, I never have to explain this from Texans, but we have the strangest freeways, and Texans have the strangest freeways in the world. I have never seen a freeway like that anywhere but in Texas, and maybe just in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, where you have, you know those turnarounds we have that get you, you go over to the left side and you turn around and get you back up on a freeway? I've never seen that anywhere but in Texas. I totaled an automobile by coming, by turning around, doing one of those little loop-de-loops. And uh, I'm a blackout drinker, so I ended up calling the police and telling them that my car was stolen. And here comes the police with my husband. And I end up going to the Irving Police Station, and I get to see that look on the non-alcoholic's face that just doesn't understand why we do the things we do. And this policeman looked at my husband with so much disgust, and he says, why don't you just take her home and sober her up? And that night he said to me, Polly, there's a treatment center, and I'd like for you to go. And that night I entered treatment for the first time. Now I'm here to tell you this is no fancy jitter joint. This was a county detox. This was... The, in Euless, Texas, this was the little alcohol recovery center. God, I can't even remember what it is, Barbara. ARC. Alcohol, we call it the ARC. And I mean, it was a dump. And uh, anyway, that's where I sobered up. That's where Barbara sobered up the first time, too. That's where I sobered up. And I got in this, tre- in this, uh, in this treatment center, and I met this guy, and, you know, of course it was all of them, and he agreed with me. And uh, we had a Jenner House romance, and when the seven days was up in the detox center, we went off and stayed sober for 58 days. 
I was brought back into that treatment center more dead than alive. I had been beaten up in numerous and sundry other things. And I had reached that place in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that talks about pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Because now I know what the problem is. The problem is sobriety. On that tape that Clancy has, he talks about the disease of alcoholism. And it's on that tape, Alcoholism, a Disease of Perception. And I always love to hear Clancy talk. He just talked last Monday night at our home group. And I always love to hear him talk because he talks about my kind of alcoholism. You see, my kind of alcoholism is when I don't drink, I'm crazy. When I'm not, when I don't have alcohol, I'm crazy. And I sat in that treatment center and I said, the problem is sobriety. That's the problem. See, I didn't even know what alcoholism was, but I knew that the problem was sobriety and that there was no way I could live inside my own skin sober. And when I, that seven days was up, I left that treatment center and I got a bottle of scotch and a bottle of Valium and checked into a motel. I don't believe that there's anybody in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous that doesn't have an angel in your life, someone that leads us to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I had such a woman in my life. She knew nothing about the disease of alcoholism, but she loved me. And she said that day that something came over her. And today I know that something was God working in my life through her. And she drove around and she found my car parked outside this motel. And I hadn't shut the door all the way. And she pushed it open. And I, on, April the 9th, on April the 8th of 1977, I was pronounced dead on arrival in a hospital in Bedford, Texas. Needless to say, that didn't take because I'm standing here tonight. <laughs> but I need to tell you about the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous. I know today that I am here by God's grace. One of the things I love is if you've ever heard Father Leo talk, God, I just love to hear him talk. And he always talks about everybody has a moment, you know, that moment when, you, when your whole life goes by, you have that moment. Well, I didn't have that moment. I didn't have that moment. I just, you know, I just didn't have that moment. I am so grateful to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous because I believe here I'm here by God's grace. I believe that we're all here by God's grace. I believe that everybody who walks in the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous has been given the gift of sobriety. The very sad thing is, is that most people give it back. Have you ever watched how, you know, it seemed like when I, when I got the big book, when I first got sober, when I got the third edition 25 years ago, it said we had 2 million alcoholics. And it seems like the new big book says we still have 2 million sober alcoholics. What happened? What happens? What happens? There should be... 15 times, 50 times more alcoholics. There should be way more. Where do they go? What happens? They leave. And the gift is, the gift of grace is we get to stay here. We don't have to do anything. You're just given the gift. I love in our daily reflections, one of the readings says that sobriety is God's gift to me. What I do with my sobriety is my gift back to God. 
There is not anything I would not do for Alcoholics Anonymous. Not anything. I love this program so much. Because everything I have in my life is due to, is because of, not because of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was put on one of those little 5150 holes. They did those 72 hour holes 25 years ago. And I was put in a psychiatric hospital just long enough for my husband to obtain a court order from a Fort Worth judge that said I was going to treatment. I was court committed to treatment. And I entered a treatment center in Dallas, Texas. And I entered that treatment center on April the 11th of 1977. And by God's grace, the program called Alcoholics Anonymous, I haven't had a drink since. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says, in a vision for you, that if we stay spiritually fit, that great events will come to pass. That's the great fact for us all. And I want to spend the time I have left telling you about my great events. I am a person who, normal for me, normal for me, is to be so depressed I cannot get out of my bed. I'm going to be taking some kind of funny tranquilizer. I'm going to be trying to, you know, scam some doctor to give me something because I cannot live inside my skin. That's normal for me. I cannot function. I am a person who will take my arms and cut them up because it feels better to feel physical pain than emotional pain. That's normal for me. That's who I am. But because of a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, I have the greatest life you could possibly imagine. And it happened doing all the things I knew wouldn't work. <laughs> Absolutely would not work. All the things I knew wouldn't work. You know, one of the things that happens a lot of times is that people who try to help us say, take care of yourself. Well, you know, I'm an alcoholic, and me's all I think about. And thinking about me earned me that seat in Alcoholics Anonymous because of me. If somebody comes up to you and they say to you, we're just, you just come on here and here and we're going to love you, always listen to that because that's true. But we're going to love you till you can love yourself. I hope you run like hell. Because you know what? We're going to bring you into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and we're going to love you till you can love somebody else. Because that's the deal, is to be able to love somebody else. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous talks about constant thoughts of others. And I didn't think it would work. I knew it wouldn't work. But what I was told to do was to get busy in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was told, you got a car? Go pick up people and bring them to a meeting. And boy, we did that, didn't we, Barbara? God, we were, we were hauling them out of every halfway house and the prison. We were hauling them everywhere. Go, you know, the first step, get in the car. Just get in the car. And we were doing those things. We were just hauling these, we were hauling these women. And it was go share something with somebody else. Thank God I've never gotten too sober to call a newcomer. 
You know, there are days when I'm, I know what that's like. I don't know if you suffer from depression. One of our co-founders suffered from depression. You want to know how not to suffer from depression? Pick up an AA-approved literature called The Language of the Heart and read Bill W.'s last letter to the grapevine called A New Frontier, Emotional Sobriety. Because today I know the more I work with you, the better I feel. Today I know how to have self-esteem. Go do something esteemable. And Bill's story, he talks about, finally I know usefulness. Finally I know usefulness. Today I know usefulness. I sponsor a lot of women. And I'm telling you, I haven't a clue what I do for them. But I need every one of those women. Because as long as I'm talking to them, I'm not thinking about me. And I love what Dottie says. My, my AA sponsor, Dottie, says, she says, Polly, it's not necessarily that you think well of yourself. It's just you think only of yourself. <laughs> and I just started doing the deal. I started taking the steps, and I started being active in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I still do today, 25 years later, exactly what I did in those at Mid-Cities Group 25 years ago. It's not anything I do different. I do the same stuff, exactly the same stuff. I sometimes have the same attitude. I'm sure you are much better than I am. But when somebody calls me and, you know, it's a newcomer, so we're going to have to go through the steps, and that means we're going to have to sit down with the book, and this is going to take a lot of time, and uh, my attitude's not always good. And I love what Clancy says. He just says, take actions contrary to the way you feel. We don't care how you feel about it. Just do it. And then she's going to have her fifth step ready. And I'm going to have to sit down for four or five hours and listen to all this. And I'm sure you all have a better attitude about that than I do. <laughs> but the deal is, is I get to do that. And as soon as I get started in it, I'm really glad. But I tell you, I'm always just like, ugh, when I started out. But I'm so, so, but nobody said I had to enjoy it. Sometime when I have to go speak in Southern California, I get up at 4.30. I leave for work at 6, and I have to be at work at 7. And when I go speak at a meeting, and it's, you know, Rancho Cucamonga, you know, Wayne from God knows where, and on a Tuesday night, and you know, they smoke, and I know we're so, we're so uh, smug in California. <laughs> you can't smoke in any building inside in California. So it's, it's a real incentive to quit smoking because no matter where you go, you've got to go outside. And except in Alano clubs, <laughs> I don't know how they get by with it. But, you know, you'll go do these things, or Marty, out to Marietta Hot Springs, or Temecula, and go do, you know, and you, then you get home about 11 or 12 o'clock at night, and you got to get up at 4.30. I tell you, when I left for that meeting, I wasn't excited. You know, and, but the deal is, is I have learned to do the things I've been told to do in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, to just do it. And never have I failed to be blessed. Never. Have I failed to be blessed? When I was three years sober, I married another member of this fellowship. Now, I had to hit a bottom in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and nobody in here is going to know about that except Dave and Barbara. And uh, I, <laughs> I had to hit a bottom in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous 
behind relationships and sex. Because what I wanted is I just wanted somebody to love me. And if you were coming into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and you were in Al-Anon bringing your, you know, new husband that needed the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, this is what would have greeted you if you would have come to Mid-Cities. At that time, I had long red hair that I wore in two little ponytails. I wore a crop, I mean, you know, they think they have it today. We wore these little crop tops, whole belly showing, hip hugger jeans, cut up to here, and I'm going to run up to your husband and say, Hi, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> I definitely was not a program of attraction. I might have been attractive, but not as a program. And, and I have a lot of feelings about that today. I believe that this is a spiritual program. And I believe that we need to behave. This is a program of attraction. And I need to behave as a sober, married woman in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's really important to me. Because you see the value system that went out the door because of a disease called alcoholism, because of a recovery called Alcoholics Anonymous, has returned. That has returned. And uh, they knew all about me. Dave even sponsored some of the guys I was friends with. And uh, so, but Dave and I were just buddies. And we've often said if we'd have known we were going to get married, we'd have never told each other the things we told each other. <laughs> and uh, anyway, David moved to Salt Lake City and he came back to uh, Texas and he said, uh, Polly, I'm in love with you, but you need to get something straight. I don't want to have an affair with you. I want to marry you. And things like that aren't supposed to happen to women like me. And uh, Dave and I have been married 21 and a half years. And that's two alcoholics hooked up together. And we have the most fabulous marriage. He's still the guy I like to play with the most. I, we have a lot of fun together. We've been through a lot together in the past 21 years. And uh, we were sitting at a couples meeting. Dave and I belong to a couples meeting. And it's really, you know, strange how sometimes you don't think about what you've experienced. And uh, one of the things that we were sitting in the first couple was talking and they were saying, well, you know, we're losing our business and that we're going to lose our house and we're going to probably have to fail, file bankruptcy. And uh, I just sort of quietly said to myself, well, God, I've been there. You know, and it was really hard because uh, Dave and I were kind of high profile in Alcoholics Anonymous. If you want to know, you know, we were busy. We were in just a lot of service. And uh, the bottom fell out of aerospace in 1993. Dave lost his job. Didn't work again really for two years. And uh, we lost our house. And, and I was embarrassed and I was ashamed. And Dave's sponsor, Frank Honeycutt, says, you know, Polly, I just said, you know, people just wonder what step we're working on. I know they're judging me. And he says, Polly, you know, it's none of your business what those people think of you. It's none of your business. But your very life depends on what you think of them. And I had to, you know, my whole life, I was born in Texas to a little Baptist mother who just all she ever said was, honey, just don't let the neighbors know. Just don't let the neighbors know. 
And I know my mother, up until she couldn't drive anymore, would pick me up in Abilene. She lives out in Stamford. And she'd pick me up in Abilene. And as soon as I'd get off that airplane, she'd just in her little way, you know, because she's just real kind of shy, she'd say, Now, honey, don't you let anybody in Stamford know you're an alcoholic. <laughs> and, you know, it was all about that. It was all about what are people going to think. And, you know... I had to learn that lesson, that it's none of my business what people think. And then this other couple was talking about their drug-addicted daughter. And, no, first it was stepkids. It was stepkids. And then Dave has two kids, and I have two kids. And uh, Dave and I have had one child lived with us since we've been married, and that's James. And uh, James was really making himself a story down on Venice Beach at that time. <laughs> and uh, at any rate, uh, so that Dave and James and this whole stepkid thing, we went through that. And, uh, and that wasn't easy. It was not easy. And, uh, and then we go on to the next couple, and the next couple's talking about their drug-addicted child. Well, Dave and I have four children between us. Three of them are alcoholics and drug addicts, and two of them are sober. So, you know, it was kind of like, well, done that. The next one talks about having a child who has a lot of psychiatric disorders, and um, I've done that. And it was just amazing how you just see your life and see that, my gosh, we've been through these things and we have a better marriage. And one of the things that I am absolutely certain of, it is that which does not kill you will make you stronger. If you just give yourself a chance to learn the lessons that God presents us. Because I sought them, and I'm going to get to learn them. And all of this, I think God could have spared me any pain whatsoever. Because I believe that he's that strong. But I would have not learned or benefited from any of that. And because of those things that I've learned in my life of being 62 years old and 25 years sober has made me a better person. I wish I could tell you I have self-esteem every day and self-worth and all that stuff, but I don't. When I was six and a half years sober, my youngest son called me on the phone and he says, Mom, I want what you have. And six and a half years before, he did not want what I had. Six and a half years before, I was supposed to attend a function at his school. And he says, don't you dare show up at my school because I am ashamed of you. And six and a half years later, he wants what I have. James is 18 years sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. You just saw Kelly stand up, and he's married to Kelly, and Kelly's 13 years sober. James and Kelly have three children. And uh, May 23rd, 1993, I'll never forget it as long as I live. James calls us and tells us about this baby. And uh, we get to run by there, and he's just a few days old because I'm speaking in Washington, D.C., and we take a detour into Chicago. And this baby is the prettiest thing you have ever seen, most precious child. And uh, we kept thinking maybe something wasn't quite right with Ryan. Maybe it just wasn't quite right. And uh, when he was about 18 months old, we found out that Ryan was profoundly deaf. And uh, I really had my fist at God. 
We all had our fist at God. We were hurt and angry. Look at all the people who have babies. They don't even want them, and they're born perfect. But you see, what we had to learn is there's no negatives in God's world. Everything is positive. Now, you're going to see Ryan running around here this weekend, and you're going to never know. You're going to never know unless you see him sign or see his brother sign or his mommy and daddy. The third step talks about to be relieved of the bondage of self. I'm here to tell you if you have a special child, you are going to be relieved of the bondage of self. With these two kids, it has never been too much. It has never cost too much. It has never taken too much. They have sacrificed everything that this child had, what he needs as a child with special needs. And I'm here to tell you he's nine years old. He's totally integrated into public school in the third grade, and he's handicapped in no way. Absolutely a miracle. That doesn't happen to children like Ryan without parents like James and Kelly. And that's what you've done for them. That's what AA has done for them. It made them accountable and responsible. And we have Chris and Maddie. And uh, I love it. They, you don't do this anymore. But used to, when you go sit at, a, at an airport, you know, these guys would come around with these cards. You know, I'm deaf. They never wanted to see me because I'm always, get a job. <laughs> <laughs> Look around this weekend because uh, we've got some, we got some real special cargo here this weekend too. And uh, Ryan and Chris and Maddie. And it's really fun today because uh, Ryan and, uh, and Chris are going to go on the water thing tomorrow. And Ryan got a cochlear implant a few years ago. And he does pretty good about understanding it, but he's going in water, okay? So that has to come off. So we were kind of wondering how it was going to work out. So. They go up and we talked to the lady today and they got registered and his little brother's going to go so he's going to help interpret for him. And they're going to go on the water trip tomorrow. God's good. And you know the other thing is our whole family knows how to sign. Why? Because we wanted to talk to Ryan. We wanted to talk to Ryan. I've had the opportunity to carry the message to four deaf women. I'm really slow, but they don't care. Deaf people don't care. They have no problems understanding me. I just have a problem understanding them. So, a miracle. My oldest son is not an alcoholic. And uh, Russ has had a lot of problems. Russ is the child I identify with the most. Russ is the child that has had the kind of problems that I have. Deep depressions, cutting on himself just absolutely hating himself. And he felt so, so badly that he used to say he was never going to have children because he was never going to duplicate himself. I mean, it was just such low self-worth, it was beyond description. And um, anyway, um, I've always had the Al-Anon group picked out for him, the Al-Anon sponsor. <laughs> I'm really glad Russ has a higher power and it's not me. And... Um, Things did not get better for a really long time. 
And one of the things that I want to say is if you are sitting here tonight in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I, I just want to say to you, please, please do not give up five minutes before the miracle. Because I am 25 years sober and I am 62 years old and my son is 42 years old and the miracle has just started to happen. Many, many years ago, Kelly told me that she thought that Russ was suffering from Tourette syndrome because Kelly is a therapist. And I tried to get Russ to get some help, to no avail. I mean, he's an adult. I can't get him to get help. Well, about two years ago, he was initiated into the Catholic Church. He married a Catholic woman, and uh, they were remarried in the Catholic Church. And a lot of things began to happen with Russ. And he began to, to ha start to have a spiritual awakening, and things began to change in his life. And about two years before, David sat down and talked to him, and he said, Russ, um, your mom and some of us think that you, may be ha that you may be suffering from Tourette syndrome. And a couple of doctors had diagnosed him ADD, and he's got that too. But, um, and, um, and he gave him this doctor, and Russ never did anything with it. And seven months ago, Russ came to Dave and he says, Dave, what was that doctor's name that you told me about at the City of Hope in Pasadena? And uh, so Dave gave him the list, gave him the name, and uh, he called and he made an appointment. In order to be accepted into the City of Hope, you've got to have a lot of problems. And uh, you have to take this whole banner of tests and you have to show that you qualify for this to be treated. Well, he had absolutely no problem qualifying. And uh, they started him on some brand new medication that's not even known about things as simple as a clonidine patch for the ticks. Just lots of things that are just solely newly innovated. And, uh, and it's just changed his life. It's just changed his life. And he's like a different person. And um, I said the other day, the other day I was, um, Peggy Martin was in Sacramento and we were talking and she's known about all of this and Russ even made the comment, he won't, go see, he won't go see the movie A Beautiful Mind because he says, to have a mind like that is not beautiful, I promise you, Mom, it's not beautiful. And um, so he won't go. And uh, a lot of times that I said something to Peggy, I said, it's like this medicine has helped so much because... Russ would just come into a room and he would just drain the life out of you. It was just, you know, his illness was so toxic. And she looked at me and she just put her hand on me and she says, can you just imagine how he must feel? How he must feel. See, one more time, it's all about me. And um, I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful. And Russ and Cheryl have two little girls, Katie and Jesse, and uh, I happen to live about five minutes from them. So... I'm, uh, I babysit a lot, and uh, I just want to tell you what was said to, uh, to Russ the other day by my oldest granddaughter, Katie. Katie put her hands on her hips when her dad comes. This is her new, her new thing. Now, you have to listen to me a minute. And she looked at her daddy, and she says, I, <clears throat> I am going to live with my grandma always. <laughs> Grady Vince.
will come to pass. I'm going to tell you one more great event. <clears throat> About four years ago, I guess it was, uh, four years ago, James and Kelly came to Dave and I. Maddie wasn't born yet. It was just the boys. And uh, James says, Mom, we made a will. And uh, if anything happens to Kelly or I, we want you and Dave to take the boys. About a year ago, Russ and Cheryl came to Dave and I, and they said, Mom, if anything happens to Cheryl or I, we want you to take the girls. Because of a program called, called Alcoholics Anonymous, I am a mom who abused her children, and because of the healing and the steps and the traditions and the concepts and a loving God, a miracle has taken place in our family, and I want you to know that my children are willing to trust me with their children. What a great event has come to pass. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says, left to my own devices, I'll self-destruct. The very best I could do for me is to get me pronounced dead on arrival. But thanks to a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, I am the woman I always wanted to be. I don't always feel good about myself, but I know today that I have an answer. If I want to feel good about myself, then go do something good for somebody else. I am married to one man, and I have been faithful and true to that one man for 21 years. I'm self-supporting through my own contribution, and you taught me how to do that in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. But the place I'd always felt like a failure was that as a mom. And not long, probably 10 years of sobriety, my sons came to me and they said, Mom, you're the mom we always wanted you to be. And that's a great event that's come to pass. And my son James always tells me this when I talk. And tonight I got to hear it just as I stepped up on the podium. And he says, Mom, you be sure and tell all these people here this weekend that your son James loves you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. For information on other CDs, cassette tapes, or our Tape of the Month Club, call B&B Tapes at area code 972-317-1020. Again, that number is 972-317-1020. B&B Tapes is located in Louisville, Texas.